Please keep your Bible open to Matthew chapter 13. Just a few words of gratefulness. Um, I may not be able to find everybody quickly, but uh, to Josh and Hannah and Ellie and Todd, thanks for leading us in worshiping God today, which was a joy. Um, and to Matt and Melody, um, I'm scanning. There you are. Thank you for leading us in that meaningful prayer for marriages. Matt, thanks for leading us in the reading of God's Word today. It's a joy to be here with you all. And kids, a word of gratefulness that you're here. So we, um, we, we changed things up a little bit in our plans, and we have, uh, we have some people here today, uh, grades K through 5, who normally would be over in another class. And if you are grades K through 5, um, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're here with us today listening along as we pay attention to what God has to say to us today through his word. We've been going through the book of Matthew, and we've been learning about Jesus. And where we pick up today in Matthew's gospel in chapter 13, we've been learning about Jesus. We've been learning about the way of discipleship. In other words, what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to make disciples of Jesus among all nations which is where the book of Matthew is going in Matthew chapter 28. We've been learning about Jesus in the way of discipleship, and today we find Jesus sitting by the Sea of Galilee. We see him sitting by the water at the beach. It's the very same day, according to verse 1, the very same day that Jesus had healed a man who was blind and unable to speak, and who was terrorized by demons. But when Jesus had healed this man, some explained it away by saying that Jesus' power must be demonic. He casts out demons by the prince of demons, they said. This is the same day. Hang on to that detail because we'll come back to that detail more than once as we think about this passage. The context of Matthew chapter 13 is many people rejecting what they have seen in the ministry of Jesus and what they have heard in the teaching of Jesus. That's the context of Matthew chapter 13. But now Jesus is sitting by the water. And if we think that Jesus is just pouting, or if we think that Jesus is just sulking, then we totally misunderstand Jesus, in addition to probably misunderstanding the idea of solitude. But on the other hand, we would not be wrong to imagine that at this point, Jesus is in need of a few minutes rest. Because he is human, isn't he? And the next thing that we read is that the crowds come and find Jesus sitting there by the water. And he gets into a boat and he pushes out just a little bit from the edge of the shore. Many people have observed that when Jesus does this, it kind of creates a a natural amplification system so that he can reach more people with the sound of his voice as it reverberates over the water. In any case, with The crowds lining up at the shore to hear him. 
Jesus begins teaching. But what Jesus has to say today is surprising. We might say that what Jesus has to say is surprisingly simple. We might even say what Jesus has to say today is surprisingly childish. Because Jesus' whole sermon goes something like this. It's about a man who is farming. And he goes out and spreads seeds. Some of the seeds fall on the sidewalk. And the birds come and eat them up the way that birds do under your bird feeder. And other seeds fall in rocky places where they can only spring up just a little bit, but without enough of a root system, they soon will wither under the heat of the summer sun. And other seeds fall among thorn bushes. And when the thorn bushes grow up, they choke out the life of these seedlings. And still other seeds fall on good soil and grow up to produce grain a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. And Jesus concludes... His entire sermon today by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then that's all. You're dismissed. (laughs) Time for the benediction. You can go home now. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. I mean, that's, it's like the entire sermon lasts one minute. All of these crowds have gathered and Jesus has for them nothing more than a one minute sermon that says nothing directly about ethical teaching or how you should live your life. It says nothing directly about life after death. It says nothing directly about the challenges of the Roman Empire and all of the politics related to that. It says nothing explicitly even about God. And after a one minute sermon with no ethics, no God, Jesus simply says to the crowds, you're dismissed. I mean, somebody's got some explaining to do here, right? There are some questions that begin to arise. One of the questions is, Jesus, why the little stories that you call parables? And the other question is, what's the meaning of this parable about the farmer who's throwing seeds everywhere haphazardly? And these are precisely the two questions that Jesus and our text will answer for us in verses 10 through 17 and then in verses 18 through 23. First of all, why parables? And then what's the meaning of this parable? The first big question comes from the mouth of the disciples themselves in verse 10. They say, why do you speak to them in parables? It's a fair question. Other rabbis, by the way, in Jesus' day, did sometimes use parables as a way of teaching. It wasn't unheard of which I think is why the disciples have a word to use for it. Why are you speaking in this form of communication called parables? But it's also interesting, isn't it, that this is really not a teaching style that is common throughout the Bible. 
is not even a teaching style that is picked up by Jesus' disciples after his death and his resurrection in any significant way. You read through the whole book of Acts. How many parables are there in the book of Acts? You read through all of Peter's letters. How many parables does he tell in his letters to teach the church? It's interesting that this form of teaching, these concise little stories called parables, they're kind of unique. And so they state their question, Jesus, why parables? And I wonder what your explanation would be for why Jesus chooses to speak in parables. Why does he do that? Sometimes Christians want to say that the parables are like a children's sermon. They're like a good sermon illustration. They, they make things easier for people to understand. So one line of reasoning says among Christians, sometimes we want to explain parables by saying parables are easy to understand for the kids. Another line of reasoning about the parables that you sometimes hear Christians use is to say that Jesus uses parables as kind of an innovative communication strategy meant to engage a new generation and a wider audience. No more quoting the Bible. Just timeless principles in memorable stories. These are answers that you'll sometimes here among Christians, but it's interesting to notice that Jesus's explanation for why he uses parables is surprisingly different than either of those explanations. When the disciples ask Jesus why parables, he does not say because it's easier for the kids to understand. And when the disciples ask Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? He does not say, it helps me engage a wider audience in a new generation. Actually, his answer seems kind of surprisingly to be something of the opposite. Parables do reveal some things, but also according to Jesus... Parables not only reveal, they also conceal. Jesus uses parables because they demonstrate that something more than hearing is necessary. The format itself suggests that you can't just hear it from Jesus and say, I got it and I'm good to go. The format itself suggests that something more than merely hearing is necessary. And as Jesus goes on to explain this, he offers a couple of examples saying that on the one hand, some will hear Jesus' words and after hearing, they will understand the words and follow Jesus. And Jesus will also explain that many, after hearing, will walk away. And not follow. And all of that is understood by Jesus up front. 
and a major reason why he chooses to speak to the crowds in parables. Look with me, if you would, at how Jesus explains it in verse 11. Why do you speak in parables? He says to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Do you notice according to Jesus, he's using parables precisely because something more than just hearing is necessary. To you it's been given as a gift to see. But it has not been given to all. And then look on a little further in verse 13. Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables because... In their seeing, they do not see. And in their hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. You see, Jesus chooses to speak in parables because he wants to emphasize that something more than hearing alone is necessary. And think of the context here for a moment. At this point in Matthew's gospel, as we we mentioned a moment ago, more and more people have heard Jesus' teaching. And what are they doing? They're rejecting it and turning the other way. More and more people have seen Jesus' powerful demonstrations of the nearness of the kingdom of heaven. But what are they doing? No matter how much evidence is put in front of them, they refuse to acknowledge what they've seen. At this point in Matthew's gospel, more and more people have heard Jesus and yet are turning away. They've heard the plain teaching of Jesus, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. They've seen the demonstration of the kingdom of heaven And yet so many, instead of hearing and believing and following, they are hearing and turning away and not following. All of this goes into what Jesus says when he says, this is why I'm speaking to them in parables, so that in their seeing they won't see. So that in their hearing, they won't hear, nor will they understand. And we need to understand that that idea of understanding that Jesus brings up is not an issue of IQ. It's not an issue of who's the smartest in the room. In fact, there's something of poetic justice here in this passage. There's something in the way that this works that shows something of Jesus's poetic justice, Jesus is using very simple words. These are, in fact, stories and pictures that even children can understand. But these stories and pictures that even children can understand will be rejected by many who consider themselves wise and learned. Even while smart people are hearing They won't hear. They won't listen. 
and they won't understand and they won't follow. This is the poetic justice of Jesus. His teaching in parables is foolishness to many who think themselves wise. But it will give life to anyone who enters the kingdom of heaven with the humility of a child. The parables reinforce the fact that something more than just hearing is necessary. In verse 14, Jesus goes a step deeper in answering the question of why parables. And he says that when he speaks in parables, it continues a pattern in the kingdom of God that goes back to Isaiah chapter 6. Another fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy here in Matthew, except here it's not Jesus exactly who fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, it's his hearers. As Isaiah chapter 6 says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. The original context of Isaiah's words are worth considering for a moment, at least. These words originally come from that famous moment in Isaiah chapter 6, which is made famous by, uh, by North American missions conferences. Is that moment when Isaiah says, Here am I, send me, Lord. And at the missions conferences, we end right there. But what comes next in the book of Isaiah is also important. Right after Isaiah says, here am I, send me, the Lord explains to Isaiah, in effect, just so you know, when you speak my words, Isaiah, most people who hear your words will refuse to listen. Just so you know in advance. They'll hear the Lord's words, but they won't listen. In fact, as Isaiah 6 continues, the Lord tells Isaiah that for many who hear, his message will have the effect only of hardening their hearts even further until judgment comes and only a small faithful remnant of God's people will remain. And Isaiah needs to know this at the start of his ministry. Why? So that he will not make the mistake of measuring his faithfulness only by the responses of other people's hearts. He needed to know that it's possible to deliver God's truth with accuracy and with wisdom. And yet, for people to still choose to close their hearts to God's message. And Isaiah needed to know that if he was going to be faithful with the word of the Lord in his own ministry. Why do the disciples of Jesus need to know this? Probably for about the same reason, right? So that they will know not to make the mistake of measuring their faithfulness 
by the number of negative responses of other people's hearts, which are beyond their control anyway. Disciples of Jesus in that day and still today need to know that it is possible, like Isaiah, to proclaim the Lord's message with accuracy and with wisdom and yet for people to still close their hearts to Jesus' message. In Isaiah's day, and in the days of Simon Peter, and still in our day today, something more than merely hearing is necessary. And so like Isaiah, and so like Simon Peter, and like so many Christians across the ages, we need to understand in advance that even if Jesus himself communicates the truth to people with utmost accuracy and wisdom, many will still respond with hardened hearts, unwilling to hear the word of the Lord even from Jesus Christ himself. So why does Jesus speak in parables? Because with the parables, the very form of the teaching, a story that doesn't give everything to you right up front, the very form of the teaching demonstrates that something more than just hearing with your ears is necessary. But the next question we need to consider before we get to a few points of application for our lives today, which I want to get to, but I want us to see how they grow out of what we have here in Matthew's gospel. The next question is, all right, Jesus is using parables because something more than hearing the message is necessary. What's the meaning of this parable? the farmer guy who's just throwing seeds everywhere and there are different results. What's the meaning of that parable? And Jesus answers that question for his disciples beginning in verse 18, right? It's interesting to me, by the way, that Jesus does not say who the sower represents in this story. He explains a lot of things. He doesn't explain who the sower is. Is the sower God? Planting a vineyard like the Lord does sometimes, or as the Lord is pictured as doing in the Old Testament? Is the sower Jesus Christ himself? Is the sower others after Jesus who will represent his message? On purpose, Jesus doesn't give us an answer to that question, perhaps or probably, because in varying ways, each of those answers would fit. But he is clear about what the seed represents. The seed represents the word. It represents 
the message of the kingdom of heaven. It represents that good news that Jesus came to demonstrate and to proclaim. The message that the king himself has come near and therefore repentance and forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed in his name among all nations. But once people have heard the message of the kingdom, once those seeds have hit somebody's ears, then what? And notice that according to Jesus' explanation of this primary parable, the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils as it's sometimes called, there are many different ways that the message does not bear fruit. There are numerous ways that Jesus explains that the message of the kingdom can run into lives and prove unfruitful. First of all, Jesus warns that some people are what we might call hard-hearted hearers. According to verse 19, these people will hear Jesus' message, but that message will never get very deep at all. Many people will hear, but Jesus' message never has a noticeable impact on their lives. Perhaps they hear Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. But these hard-hearted hearers hear such teachings and say, not really interested. And Jesus explains the enemy is quick to come along snatch up the message that was planted and taken away. Jesus warns that other people are what we might call shallow hearers, described in verses 20 and 21. They hear and they immediately demonstrate some interest. This is an improvement on the first group, right? There's immediate interest In fact, maybe there's even emotional enthusiasm and we like happy emotions. I'm not opposed at all to happy emotions. Let me say that. I like seeing people filled with joy. That's a good thing. And Jesus says there are some people who will hear Jesus' message and immediately it's like, yes, joy. But of course... Even though early emotions are not at all bad. I love happy emotions. Have I said that to you already? But happy emotions by themselves are not a reliable indicator of new life in Christ. Good emotions can be positively good, but on their own, an emotional response doesn't prove anything. Having begun with an outburst of joy for these shallow hearers, the message doesn't get down deep into the heart and develop a root system 
that can endure and persevere over time. And therefore, when hardship comes because of the word, the shallow hearers, Jesus says, will fall away. Perhaps a shallow hearer will hear the teaching of Jesus that says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And at first this sounds wonderful. A promise of living as a beloved child of the Father in heaven. Sign me up. But then, a shallow hearer is faced with a really annoying, and difficult, or painful, or costly kind of opposition. And in the face of such an enemy, nah, it's right back to the old way of living. Jesus warns that there are still other people in addition to In addition to the hard-hearted hearers and in addition to the shallow hearers, some will hear Jesus' message, but they will prove to be strangled hearers, we might say. The strangled hearer, by all appearances, has every opportunity to grow its roots. It has every opportunity for that. But what's the danger It's a danger that we tend to minimize in the Western world that we live in today. It's the danger of, quote, the cares of this world. It's the danger of, quote, the deceitfulness of riches. Did you know that wealth lies to you? Do you know that possessions are trying to dupe you? Did you know worse than that, that the love of money and the longing for possessions has the ability to choke out and strangle the longing, that it has the ability to choke out and strangle the message of Jesus himself? Maybe Jesus was not playing when he said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And the history of Christianity is lined with people who thought to themselves, that's probably true for a lot of other people, but I'll do just fine serving both. Only to fall away or to return through repentance. But then, lest this story be only discouraging, as Jesus explains the story of the sower and the soils, He explains that there are a lot of ways that the right message can prove unfruitful in various people's hearts. But he doesn't leave us without hope. He also tells us 
of a fourth kind of hearer, what we might call the fruitful hearer. And what distinguishes the fruitful hearer? This hearer hears the words, hears the teaching, hears the message and understands Which again is not the same as being smarter than other people. But understanding in the sense of taking it to heart. Understanding in the sense of taking it to heart and being changed by it. Understanding in the sense of seeing its value and following the way of Jesus Christ. And this kind of hearer. This kind of hearer will demonstrate an extraordinary harvest, Jesus explains. In their place and time, it was not uh, Illinois. It was not the Midwest, which is known for fertile soil uh, that can produce all kinds of wonderful growth in grain. In their place and time, a tenfold harvest was considered wonderful. If you got a seed in the ground and you got back ten seeds as a result, wow! But notice what Jesus mentions here. He speaks of those who hear His words. He speaks of those who take it to heart and who are changed by it and follow Him. He speaks of them as having an ROI in the 100x category. Or a 60x. Or at least a 30x. Not just 10 seeds coming back in exchange for the one that was planted, but 30, 60, maybe 100 times what was originally planted. These hearers enter the kingdom of heaven poor in spirit. And they end up with a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. They enter the kingdom of heaven as peacemakers. And they let their their light shine before all men that all might glorify the Father. And so they bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold through their lives. And here's kind of the crazy thing about this parable. All of these different hearers heard the same message. Jesus' point in this parable is not, be careful how you explain the message to others, because you might mess it up. His point is, if it's my message... And even if I'm the one proclaiming it, Jesus says, many will receive it in a hard-hearted way. Many will receive it in a shallow-hearted way. Many will receive it in a strangle-hearted kind of way. But some, to whom it has been given, To understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Some will bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. What then is the meaning of Jesus' parable about the sower that he just told to the crowds on the day when they rejected him? 
and accused him of healing with demonic power. The point of the parable is like two sides of a coin. Many will hear Jesus' message without that message taking root. But the other side of the coin, some will hear Jesus' message and bear great fruit. Once again, Jesus is emphasizing this issue. Something more than just hearing the words. Something more than just growing up in church. Something more than just growing up with parents who tell you Bible stories. Something more than just hearing fine sermons on Sunday. Something more than reading the best books available or listening to the most insightful podcasts. Something more than having been around the truth of Jesus for years is needed. Something more than hearing is necessary. And what does that mean for us? I want to mention a couple of important takeaways for us that come out of these words. A couple of important takeaways that God's Spirit will lay in front of us today. And the first is this. If I could quote Jesus from Luke's account of this passage, which is to say this is the kind of thing Jesus says. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. If something more than hearing is necessary, and if it's possible to grow up going to church, and if it's possible to be around stories about Jesus from your childhood on, if it's possible to graduate from Wayside Cross, if it's possible to graduate from Wheaton College, if it's possible to be around Jesus stuff for years and yet prove to be a shallow listener or a a strangled listener, take care then take care how you hear this week in my reading i was reminded of a story about martin lloyd jones uh, who was a widely respected preacher um, in the 20th century many people came to faith in jesus many people were built up in their faith through his ministry in london uh, in the 20th century And one day, um, after Martin Lloyd-Jones had preached a a moving sermon, an unbeliever came up to talk with him after the service and said, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, I must tell you that if you would have given an altar call at the end of your message, I certainly would have come and given an altar call. I certainly would have come forward. But as the story goes... Lloyd-Jones looked at the fellow and replied, If you don't want Jesus five minutes after the service is over, then I assure you that you didn't truly want him at any point during my sermon either. 
Perhaps he's being a little bit harsh on this guy who's just coming to have a conversation with a pastor. If you want to come and have a conversation with me after the service, I just the only thing I can tell you is I'll try to be a little nicer than that. <laughs> but he makes a good point, doesn't he? The true sign of hearing and receiving Jesus' message with faith is not how emotionally stirred we are in the moment. It's the fruit that is born over time that tells the difference. As Doug O'Donnell says in his book, the true test of discipleship is not whether or not one received the gospel with joy at some dateable moment in history. The true test of discipleship is whether or not one picks up his or her cross and follows Jesus, not for one day or two weeks or three months, but until Jesus calls him or her home. So let me pause for just a moment as we're paying attention to the parable of the sower and the soils. And whether you're here today as a kid who has heard about Jesus, or whether you're here as a youth who hears about Jesus in great ways on Wednesdays and on Sundays and in conversations with your friends and in conversations maybe with others in your home, like your parents, or whether you've been around this Jesus stuff for many years now, whether you attend Wheaton College, or whether you're seeking to graduate from Wayside Cross, whether you've had something stirring in your heart for a long time, or whether something is stirring in your heart for the very first time ever today. I want to invite you to hear the force of Jesus' teaching. There are a lot of ways to hear his message. And for that to prove unfruitful because of the hardness of our hearts. So take care then how you hear. Don't just let those words hit your ears. Take them to heart. Let Jesus' message change you from the inside out. Cry out for the Lord to do His work in your life. Cry out to the Lord to bring about a harvest. A righteousness that would exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. A light that would shine before all men and lead them to glorify our Father in heaven. Cry out to God that He would not... that He would. Ensure by his powerful work in your life that you would be not hearers only, but doers of the word. A first takeaway for us today is this. Take care then how you hear. The second takeaway Don't lose your confidence in Jesus' message. Don't lose your confidence in Jesus' message. Look, if you follow Jesus across the course of years, one of the really 
painful experiences is that the longer you follow Jesus, the more people you will see who heard the message and maybe even responded initially with joy and then turned away and did something different with their life. I think back to friends of mine from high school who loved to sing the worship songs and then did not follow Jesus with the rest of their life after graduation. Um, I've mentored a lot of guys that I genuinely love at Wayside Cross. But my batting average is pretty bad in terms of seeing them keep on following through with the stuff that we've talked about across the course of a couple weeks or a couple months. I think of teenagers I've known in this church family even who I love. Who I love in some ways like my own family members have turned and done something different with their life. The longer you follow Jesus, the more you're going to see these examples of people who heard the same message you heard. And they turn and they walk away. And yes, it is appropriate for us sometimes to slow down and say, did I misrepresent the message? Did I get in the way of it? Did my lifestyle or did my communication make it more difficult to hear? It's right to pause and consider that. But at some point, to the degree that it's Jesus' message that we're passing on to people, we need to be prepared by Jesus himself to understand that it's expected. To understand that even if Jesus himself were to come and do powerful wonders and signs and explain it all as clearly as anybody could hear it, there would still be many there who would say, I bet he casts out demons by the prince of demons. And there would still be people confronted with all the evidence and all the clearest teaching in the world who would say, nah, I'm going to try to serve both God and money. Thank you very much. So what do we do? Matthew chapter 13, at this important point in Matthew's gospel, as it's reflecting on the number of people who have heard and yet rejected Jesus, as it's preparing for that moment when the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ sends out his disciples, saying, with all authority in heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples among all nations. Do you see why this is important for us to know in advance? If even Jesus himself presenting his message doesn't lead to a 100% conversion rate, we shouldn't lose confidence in his message if our ministry does not result in a 100% conversion rate either. Why is this teaching here? Because in every generation, from Isaiah's day 
to Simon Peter's day, to our day. In every generation, those who follow Christ and seek to make disciples must be prepared for the heartbreaking reality of rejections. And then what do we do? I heard someone once in the course of talking about evangelism say that as Christians who understand the power of the message itself, what do we do? We take good advice from Dory in Finding Nemo. Some of y'all know Dory. Do you know Dory's song? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. What do we do? We just And then Nemo says, stop that. You're going to get that stuck in my head, right? And some of you are like that to me, right? Just keep swimming. What do we do in ministry if we understand that the word is powerful, but it will have different results in different people's hearts and lives? You know what we do? We just keep sowing, just keep sowing. Month after month and year after year. Uh, we got some, some teenagers we love who aren't really interested. What do we do? We keep loving them. And as we speak the truth in love, we just keep sowing, just keep sowing. We've got people we're mentoring or investing in and we're not sure how they respond. What do we just keep sowing, just keep, right? What do we do in light of this? We just keep sowing. In Jesus' own day, the many rejections of his message would crescendo in the cry of the crowds who heard his teaching, who saw his deeds, and yet decided their response would be, crucify him. Matthew 27, 2. And yet even on that dark day, There was mercy for one hearer named Peter who for one night withered in the face of persecution looking for a day like perhaps perhaps he was a shallow-hearted hearer and nothing more. For a night he withered in the face of persecution but then he repented and he experienced mercy And then he just kept preaching. He just kept following. And on the day of Pentecost, he ended up bearing fruit 2,000 folds. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't lose your confidence in our Lord and in his message. Just keep sowing. Take care how you listen. Just keep sowing. And our risen, our crucified, risen, and reigning Lord Jesus Christ, who says, Behold, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, we can entrust him with the rest. I want to invite those who are going to join us in serving the Lord's Supper to make your way forward.